0: Happy birthday to you, happy birthday, birthday, God bless you, happy birthday, birthday to, you. to you. We have a little treat for you too, I think back there somewhere. It's oh, empty. Our, our kids are, it's empty, huh? Right. Well, they're probably hiding right, somewhere. Um, so, Mike, uh, be in prayer for Tara and uh, Nate. And uh, Gracie or Addison and McKenna, they're at the youth retreat down there in Burley and they're driving home today, so that's where they're at. I'm sure they, they went snowboarding for the first time yesterday, so they're probably pretty sore um, and that, uh, just full of uh, good stuff, but anyway, so I yeah, appreciate the prayer for them and um, for Dick, it's so good to have you back. Uh, and Alice is sick, all right, so we're gonna pray for her as well so good to see you. And I'm just still living in denial with your movie. <laughs> if you have your Bibles with you this morning, we're going to be in John chapter 15. We're going to pick up where we left off last week, John chapter 15. The title of the sermon is Jesus. Love God, love people, serve the world. That's a, a focus. When I first got here at this church, we went to the the book of Colossians, and we saw that a healthy church has three focuses. That's keeping our focus on God, keeping our focus inward towards one another in the church, and then ultimately the third focus is outward, right outside of the walls of these churches, uh, keep our focus on the lost and uh, the great commission that God has called us to. And I think those uh, those those three things are found in this passage of scripture this morning, and so I just kind of want to review it for us. And if you if you look at your bulletin, you'll see that it's kind of the phrase for our, our caption for our church, right? Love God, loving God, loving people, serving the world. And that is what Christ desires of his church. And so that is what we strive to be. And by his strength, um, he will enable us to do. So, just another good time and example to Focus on what Christ wants to do, right? Our, the title of our sermon series is Living Our Lives for the Glory of God. Our lives are to be lived for His glory. He's glorified most when sinners like you and I are hear the gospel message proclaimed and receive and believe the gospel and are saved for all of eternity because of what Christ has done. God is glorified in that. And we have the privilege to participate with Him in His rescue mission. So let's go ahead and read the passage of scripture and then we'll ask the Lord to meet with us one more time and we'll see what we can get out of the passage for application for us today. John 15 verse 9, we're going to start in verse 9 there. As the Father has loved me, Jesus says, I have also loved you, remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you these things, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be complete. And this is my command. Love one another, as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants anymore, because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing i I've, I've called you friends because i have made known to you everything i have heard from the father you did not choose me but i chose you i appointed you to go and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the father in my name he will give you this is what i command you love one another If the world hates you, understand it hated me before it hated you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are thankful, Lord, for this opportunity, God, to be here, to meet with one another, Lord, and uh, just fellowship with one another. And it's good to see uh, those that we haven't seen in a while, Lord. And and, uh, we're so grateful for our church family. And uh, we just want to acknowledge you, Lord as the giver of all that is good, you've given that to us. and We're so thankful, and we're we're thankful that we can meet here this morning we can open up your word, God. We can learn more about you. That we, through your word, through the the illuminating power of of the Holy Spirit, God, that we might draw closer to you. That we not just be hearers only, but we can use this time, Lord, to to worship you and to draw closer to you, Father. We, We desire... To have a closer relationship with you, not just the Bible study, but to pursue you in relationship, with God. Help us. Help us use this time to that end. We ask it in Christ's precious and most powerful name. Amen. All right, so we have, again, an upward focus, as we talked about, an inward focus, upward focus, always keeping our eyes on the Lord Jesus, looking unto Him the author and perfecter of our faith, and how important it is for us to to keep that focus on Him because it's so easy for us, we were talking in Sunday school this morning, it's so easy for us to get so busy with life, and even so busy in ministry, this is a challenge I have, to get so busy doing things that I don't take the time to keep my focus on the Lord, And in doing that, I, I lose the opportunity to do those things as a form of worship and and walking in his joy and his peace because that's now under my strength, my power, instead of what he's given us. So the upward focus is so important. He says this, as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Talked about that verse last week, how powerful that verse truly is. He says, remain in my love, abide in my love, right? We talked about how important it was for a Christian to abide in Jesus, to, to have this fruit of the spirit be sanctified it's so important for us to abide in jesus as jesus gave that illustration for us last week it says as the father has loved me i have also loved you remain abide in my love keeping our focus on him if you keep my commands you will remain in my love just as i have kept my father's commands and remain in his love jesus way god's way god's commands those are our best option. We need to understand that these, these commands and pursuing him and, and loving him by loving others is the best option for us as Christians. And as we do that, as we abide in Christ and we seek to, to demonstrate his goodness by obeying his commands, not out of fear, as we talked about, but out of love, it is our best option. He has what is best in mind for us. And, he tells us, if you keep my commands, you will remain on my love. The fellowship will not be broken. And we can all admit that there's times in our lives where our fellowship with our God is just is broken because we're so seem so distant from him. But again and again he calls us back to, to be bathed in his love, to abide in him, to be given us the opportunity to confess our sins. And in confessing our sins to him, he's, he's faithful and just to <clears throat> cleanse us from our sins. And, and um, that's just an amazing opportunity that He. God has done this beautiful work that we can abide in Him. And as we live in His commands and seek His righteousness, as we talked about in Sunday school, we remain in His love. He provides us the example that He's done. That just as He's kept the Father's commands, He remains in the Father's love. It is our best option. Verse 11 I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This inward Producing a fruit through the power of the Spirit as we abide in Christ. What an amazing gift we're given in that. He said earlier, my peace I give to you. My, the peace not like this world, but the peace that I give you is far more abundant. As we abide in Christ, these are the promises that we are given. We keep our focus on Jesus. Individually and collectively as a church. Could you give me some water, Inward focus. This is my command love one another as I have loved you. He's talking to the disciples. So, this inward focus this is my command love one another. As I have loved you. He's talking to the disciples. He's demonstrated through the washing of their feet in John 13 what it means to love. It's a sacrificial love. It's to put other needs before your own. And he's telling them, as disciples, you need to love one another. You need to put others' needs before your own. And this is a, a, a command for us, right? Jesus gives them a new command to love one another as I, as they, as Jesus has loved them. And it's the inward focus, and that's what the church is called to do. In many of the epistles it says to bear one another's burdens, to walk alongside one another, to, to love, to put others' needs before your own. It's the inward focus. We are a launching pad here at the church. Falls. We this should be a place where we can come and seek refuge, and and to, to bear one another's burdens, and to do life together, and and have that relationship with one another as we seek the Lord. So that we can now go out into the world and face, as Jesus will go on as we talk about the next time I have the opportunity to preach, Lord willing, we will face persecution. We will face a world that hates us because they hate Jesus. So important for us to seek and fight for unity in our church so that we will have a place of rest and solace. That we can commune. And so upward focus, yes, but inward focus. To love each other. To put other our others' needs before our own. So important. Verse 13: no one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. So Jesus provides that opportunity for washing his feet, but he's ultimately going to the cross to lay down his life for his, not servants, for his friends. Those are in saved in christ paul says we are the bride of christ we are his bride we have a special and unique relationship because of what jesus has done no one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends you are my friends if you do what i command you again reflecting his goodness to glorify god in our lives is to do those things christ has called us to do his glory. You are my friends if you do what I command you to do. I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made you, I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. I remember I was working for a communications company that had a government contract and we had to get all gifts. Those that were gonna work on this particular segment of the, of the fiber optic network had to get a government clearance. It was a top secret. And so I'm like, awesome. I'm gonna get a top secret clearance and then I'll be able to figure out what's going on in Area 51, finally. <laughs> <laughs> so I go through the paperwork and, I, and they're teaching me this stuff and I come across this, this thing that says, well, yeah, you have a top secret clearance, but it's on a need to know basis. <laughs> you don't need to know what's going on in there if you want Uh, right? So I was like, oh man. But all of us probably can testify at the times in our life when we felt excluded, that we felt subservient in our work that, you know, the the people jumping in the car going to lunch and you weren't invited or, or the meeting that's going on and no one's asking for your advice and you're feeling like you're not connected and Jesus is saying, it's not the case with me. You are my friends. You're no longer servants. I have told you everything that the Father has shown me. special, unique place of privilege in our relationship with Christ. It's an amazing thing. What a great example for us to extend love towards others in that same regard. And ultimately, he talks about the outward focus here in verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit, and that your fruit should remain, so that whatever you ask the Father, in my name, he will give you. This fruit, we talked about the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of sanctification as we see God, as we keep our focus on Jesus, as we pursue him and his righteousness and his kingdom, those things the spirit begins to produce this fruit in and of ourselves uh, Levi and I talked about last night how it's so easy for us men to, to focus on trying to get fruit but it then it so easily becomes our work instead of the spirit's and the hardest thing for us to do is just surrender to the spirit and say God you need to change me because I can change my behavior for a little while but if it's me it's going to be fall flat The Spirit needs to do that work. The Spirit needs to produce that fruit. There's also, I think, what he's pointing to, as you see the context as we read on here, he's pointing to a fruit that will remain. And this fruit is, I believe, evangelistic. As he gets ready to charge them, to give them mission, to go out and proclaim the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth, to every tribe, every kindred, every tongue, gospel goes forth. It is the power of God unto salvation. To the Jew first, to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Jew. And he gives them this mission. He's like, look, I've chosen you, you did not choose me, but I've chosen you to produce fruit and that your fruit should remain. There's scripture that talks about the judgment seat of Christ where the believer will come before the the judgment seat and everything that is done for him and his his work and his kingdom are gold, silver, precious stone and will remain but everything that is not is burned away wood, hay, stubble this fruit of evangelism is a fruit that will remain we have the wonderful opportunity to impact the kingdom of God by proclaiming the gospel by sharing it to every person that God would use us to save them and Jesus again we talked about Jesus knows he's going to the cross he knows his disciples haven't quite got it yet and he's he's trying to build them up and edify them for their trials that are to come and this is yet another opportunity that he does that he says look just so there's no mistaking here, you did not choose me but I chose you When you're in the midst of your trial, when you're in the midst of your doubting, remember these words. It wasn't a mistake. I chose you for this. If you're like me, we've gone through these passages of Scripture and we've seen how we can be able to apply these teachings of loving one another and all these things for our life, but then we come to a passage of Scripture like this and it says, You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you. And so do we suddenly stop and go? Oh, no, that's just for the disciples. Or is God choosing us as well? Do we do we pull that in? And that's a topic that's been debated in church history for a couple of thousand years now, hotly debated. And the 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 danger is is that there's there's it's the God's choosing versus man's free will, and. Uh, the danger is to polarize ourselves and to be just be in one camp and not be willing to listen to the other side. We put our flag in the in the ground and say, "No, it's this way. It's it's this and only this." And then we shut ourselves down to being able to be taught. And it's certainly not what Christ is doing, asking us to do to love one another in the church, to put others' needs before each other. This is an opportunity, topics like this are an opportunity for us to extend grace and love to one another in spite of our differences of the non-essentials such as this. I say non-essentials meaning the essentials of the gospel, no matter where you're at, as far as God choosing or, or God, uh, man's free will or where they meet in the middle, the gospel is not, not change. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Who went to the cross to die for sinners like you and I, for whoever will believe. And no matter where you land on that, that is the gospel. And so that is an essential. And so if someone comes in and teaches a different gospel, we say, no. That's where we stand up. But as we see here, as we look in the scripture, we can see that we can, we understand why this topic has been debated for over 2,000 years now. Because it's, you see both in Scripture, and I just want to cover some of these passages of Scripture that, so that we can see where this could be applied. Oh, oh, I was doing my hands. Doesn't my Betty <laughs> waving in the air, airplane? I'm going down. <clears throat> so let me just show you a, a few of these Scriptures. So, what we are, and we talked about this in Sunday school, we are people of the Word. We don't want men's traditions. I'm not trying to bring them men's traditions here. I want God's word speaking to our hearts. He's given us his word, and we need to wrestle with these tensions and and use one another as we walk along together and love one another to use these things to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So God choosing this scripture, provide more uh, insight into this, this dilemma, this topic? It certainly does. We see in Deuteronomy chapter 7, where God chose Israel. It says this, Deuteronomy 7, verses 6-8, through For you are a holy people, belonging to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be his own possession, out of all the peoples on the faces of the earth. So we clearly see God choosing Israel here. Out of all the different nations, he chose Israel. And he gives us the qualifications why he decided to choose them. The Lord had his heart set on you and chose you, not because you were more numerous than all the peoples, for you were the fewest of all the peoples. God could glorify himself in a weak people. And he says here, that's why I chose you. Not because you were numerous, because you were few, but because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He brought you out of with a strong hand and redeemed you from the place of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh the king. And so we see clearly a clear passage where we can see God choosing. What about the New Testament context? What about us? We came across this passage here and. In uh, John 15, where Jesus says, I did not, you did not choose me, but I chose you. What about passages of Scripture? This is in 1 Corinthians 1, and it's a rather lengthy passage that I've chosen because I, I really, so we got to kind of go through it, but I, I wanted to get the context, right? I don't want to just pick one verse and say, this is this verse and this is this verse. But This really provides, I think, the same type of heart, of God that we saw when he chose Israel for the New Testament. He says this, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to us who are being saved. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will set aside the intelligence of the intelligent. Where there is one who is wise? Where is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of this age? Those who are prideful and lifted up and haughty, he's he's casting them down, calling them out. Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom, the world did not know God through wisdom. God was pleased to save those who believe. And so we see here a clear passage that says, people must believe in the gospel. They must have the will to be able to receive it, believe the gospel. God was pleased to save those who believe. There's no other uh, qualification. There's no other you don't have to be a certain nation or a certain uh, ethnicity. Those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. For the Jews ask for signs and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet To those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God, because God's foolishness is wiser than human's wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. God is exalted and lifted up here. He's painting this picture of how high He is compared to us, brothers and sisters. Consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective. Not many powerful, not many noble birth. The same qualifications that I see in Deuteronomy 7, he's saying your calling colonies extended the calling to not many were wise. So if you are wise, if you are powerful, if you are of noble birth, you, you still have a shot here. right? He's not excluding them. But he's saying God's calling, consider your calling, not many wise were from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something. He goes on to say, look, God chose the foolish, the the insignificant, and that makes me qualified, Right? But why? It's not those who were noble or righteous or had wisdom or had influence. It was the insignificant. So that no one may boast in his presence. God's grace, extended love, his unmerited love is given, and we have nothing to boast about. It is from him that you are in Christ Jesus who became wisdom from God for us and our righteousness sanctification and redemption God did the work. It is from him that you are in Christ who became wisdom for God for us our righteousness our sanctification our redemption are all from Christ's accomplished work In order that as it is written let the one who boasts boast in the Lord God receives all the glory have nothing to boast about salvation. It's all a work of him. At the same time, we see these passages of God choosing, but at the same time, we also see in Scripture that man must receive and believe the gospel. They're responsible to receive it and believe it. They're fully culpable in rejecting it. And in that rejection they reject eternal life. We've seen it as we walk through John. Here's a few passages. As many as received him, learned John, right? To them he gave, they received, and to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. The focus is on them receiving and believing. John 3.16, right? The most famous passage in Scripture. To God so loved the world, right? But whosoever Whosoever. It points to a fact that we must choose and receive him. And for uh, Romans ten four, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. And what's... <laughs> Ironic about that passage of Scripture is in Romans 9, Paul goes through a great argument as to, to paint this picture that, that God is the potter and we are the clay. And who are we as clay to save the potter? Why have you made me in such a way? Again, speaking about God's, right, God's power, God's omnipotence, God's sovereignty in his creation. But yet, in the very next verse... He says, everyone who believes in Romans 10, that thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For Christ is the end of the law, for righteousness to everyone who believes. Second Peter, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And so I hope I've demonstrated to you that we can see both in Scripture. And what we don't want to do is we don't feel uncomfortable with this one, so we're just going to set it aside, not go there. God's given it to us for a reason. There's a tension in the Bible in this. There's God choosing and man having the responsibility to, to receive and believe the gospel, and we see both in Scripture. And it seems like it's a paradox. And so there's 2,000 years of men, very smart, godly men, who attempt to, to, uh, to systematize salvation and, and, and try to demonstrate that. And those are all good topics. Those are all good things that we should discuss because we seek both, and we don't want to set one aside just because we feel uncomfortable about it. It's given to us for a reason. Mm-hmm. And what I'm so thankful for about this church my arms are doing it again, Betty. <laughs> okay, Give me some water here. What I'm thankful for is when I was saved, I was in a very closed minded system where I was not encouraged to seek other uh, theologians' uh, opinions on topics maybe such as this. They needed to stick in their in their pond and and not seek other opportunities and so what happened was i was surrounded by other men that believed the same as me and so we all thought we were good because we believed and everyone else was outside the pond well they didn't believe and so therefore they were some type of a lesser or a christian well guess what i found out that i was wrong in a lot of things but i didn't have the opportunity to know that because i wouldn't consider another person other believer's opinion I wouldn't sit down and open up God's Word and say, "Let us reason together." And that's a dangerous place to be. And I went to Bible College, and uh, John MacArthur the, was the president. He just uh, just uh, not resigned, but he retired just recently. But he he uh, he was the, the the president there, and so that college really tended to to favor. God's sovereignty in all things, and, and God choosing, and all that, and so I was again surrounded by men who believed all the same. And as we would talk and discuss, we polished our theology, you know. But but there was no taking of the, another opinion because we were right; everybody else was wrong. And coming from where I come from, I recognize that as a dangerous place to be because I want others' opinions. I may not be right in my these topics such as this. But thanks be to God, I went to a Baptist church where the leadership, some believed, was taught at the college were way on the side of God's choosing. And there was a lot of other uh, other leaders and pastors who, who believed, who focused more on free will. But guess what they did? They pursued unity. They pursued love. <laughs> They put the things that are most important first, the essential, the proclamation of the gospel. And they were able to, to talk with one another, converse with one another, and extend love to one another. And they were able to grow, yet seek unity, and yet have different opinions on such, something like this. And so as your pastor, I know that in our crowd, there's people that have a certain opinions on this type of, on this topic especially. And we're all over the place. And that's a good thing. If we pursue and fight for unity, if we don't allow this to be a place where we become divisive. What is God's command? What is Christ's command? Verse 17, this is what I command you. Love one another, extend grace to one another. Set your differences aside, I recently I was reminded that uh, when I was a, a young assistant preacher, the main pastor went on furlough, and so Terry and I had the church for six months, and I had a couple canned sermons that I probably stole off of somebody else off of YouTube or something, <laughs> and those were fine. But then I started having to come up with my own material, and I was butchering the Word of God. I was not handling the Word of God correctly. And there was a gentleman who, was, who had written commentaries, a very learned man, a very godly man, who was sitting on the back. And he's just shaking his head. I've seen him shake his head every Sunday. He's like, oh man, you didn't just say that. And he knew I was butchering God's word. And he could have got mad. And he could have went down the church to the church down the street. But instead, he said, this kid needs help. And so he entered into a relationship with me. He became my friend. He began to show me things and how I supposed to handle God's word appropriately. So thankful for him. Transformed my ministry so thankful. He loved me through that. And so my heart for our church is to love one another through these things. To listen to the loving means, right, putting other needs before your own. That means we have to listen in these topics. We can't just plant our flag. We need to learn try to learn from them, and that's truly an example of loving one another. It's such a debated topic, and I'm interested to know your opinion on this we can talk about it and we can pursue truth in God's word in these topics such as this. And that's a beautiful thing. We can worship our God in spirit and in truth and demonstrate his love by loving others, even when it's kind of hard sometimes. That's great. Father, we love you and we're so thankful, God, for your goodness. We're thankful, Lord, for your um, just your grace. We're thankful for salvation we're thankful for your word that we can draw closer to you and learn of you and to grow in you and to walk along and live life with one another. We're so thankful for all your blessings you've given us. Help us, Lord, to pursue unity and love with one another. Help us to glorify you as we seek your truth. Help us to glorify you as you uh, have commanded us to go outside of these walls, Lord, and to proclaim the gospel to every tribe, every nation, every tongue. Help us to be that church, God. We desire to glorify you in that way, and that we can't do it in our own strength, Lord. We, we come to you and ask that you would do it through us by your power, through your strength. We ask it in our name, in the name of God, of Jesus. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.